Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Frank Gregory Ford had served in various branches of the US military for more than 30 years when he arrived in Iraq right before the war started. He was stationed there as a non-commissioned counterintelligence officer of the California Army National Guard under the command of the 205th Military Intelligence Brigade. He was also a US Navy corpsman and a US Army medic. Barely three months after arriving in Iraq, Ford found himself strapped to a stretcher, drugged and renditioned out of Iraq, all at the behest of his commanding officer. When he arrived in the US, Ford was accused of treason and espionage. Why? Well, that's the subject of Midnight in Samara, the true story of WMD, greed, and high crimes in Iraq, a book about Ford's mind-blowing discoveries that prompted an immediate and brutal response from his higher-ups in the US, most likely at the behest of others even higher up. The book was written with the help of author Eleanor Cooney, who captured Ford's voice and experiences in an account so vivid and disturbing, I had to read it in increments. Reading it will radically rearrange your perspective on 9-11, the Iraq War, the US government, and the country's political leaders, who in this book would by a long shot win the title of Earth's greatest criminals of all time, if they were ever held accountable. Ford is with me to talk today about his experience as a medic, which got him renditioned. This interview with Ford is the third of three hours that the Whistleblower Newsroom has conducted with him. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Christina. So talk to me about where you were a medic and what happened. Right now, all right. In, in the days of, of Iraq, I was sent as, as a medic. And, and of course, I had many, many years with, prior to this with the Navy. And so I, I was very experienced in, in dealing with prisoners of war, also with my own people. I had to be the medic. I was the sole medic for my group, of, uh, you know, which was an intelligence unit. And I had to deal with them, too. And I had to deal with a very, very sticky issue of who my who my people in my group interrogated, and unfortunately, that they interrogated people, uh, the prisoners of war, we'll call them that, detainees in a place called Abu Ghraib prison. And I need to say, everyone watching this, I can comfortably say that everyone knows exactly what happened in Abu Ghraib. And I was the medic, and, and you can probably say comfortably that I was between a rock and a hard spot, between my people and also the detainees, the Iraqi detainees, and any prisoners of war that we took, uh, took to Abu Ghraib, and also specifically Saddam Hussein's banker. So, now, they didn't call them prisoners of war. Didn't they call them enemy combatants? Well, I mean, well, I, that I know that's a legal, uh, you know, splicing and dicing. But you were you were basically there to also treat uh, the uh, detainees who had been, let's say, interrogated or had experienced enhanced interrogations and you were there to deal with the aftermath of those enhanced interrogations to take care of the people who had uh, been subjected to that. Is that correct? Yes, that is. And and you you are correct, Christina, because because that was a very fluid term uh, when it comes to prisoners of war and and terrorist suspects, detainees. We had all of them. All right, and so. What, what was ever politically correct in the situation, that's what we call them at, at the time, all right? So, and, and remember, we were dealing with a fallout, which was in Guantanamo Bay also. And so 
I realized what, what a different, a difficult situation it was going to be in when I had such luminaries as Colonel John Steele, the, the infamous uh, Lion of Central America and of the infamous QBARC fame. QBARC stands for the counterterrorism counter operation that Dick Cheney had named specifically to be in, in place in Central America. So we had Colonel Steele, uh, Dick Cheney. What, what was Colonel Steele's role at Abu Ghraib? Colonel, let me see. Colonel Steele's role, when he sh showed up there at Abu Ghraib, he was going to quote, quote, this is the exact quote he used, get Moai's. He was going to get Moai's Abu Ghraib prison. He decided wow. that that the prisoners that were in Abu Ghraib were being treated too softly, in oh. his exact word. So he said they were being treated too softly, but you as a medic, can you talk about what you saw and what you had to treat after these uh, enhanced interrogations? The enhanced interrogations were in building, uh, being run in building 1A. And the reason why I had to go from Samara to uh, where I was actually assigned to B building 1A, which was Ab Abu Ghraib prison, which was just outside of the airport, okay, of the airport in, in Iraq. And so that, that's where the prison was located. But the situation was was that was that uh, Building One A was the central location for all intelligence operations and interrogation of anybody picked up anywhere in Iraq. Tell me what you saw while you were treating these people. Okay. What kinds of things did you treat? What other things did you see there that that? Uh, made Abu Ghraib infamous, but that you actually as a firsthand witness saw? Well, a lot of it is extremely difficult to talk about on film. All right. And but everybody could imagine virtually all of what your listeners and viewers have seen on the, the films that were the pictures that were taken in Abu Ghraib prison. That's what I was seeing. All right. The 60-minute special, that was just touching on what was happening. That was just the beginning of the violence, uh, the, uh, the abuse, the brutality, okay, that was happening there at Abu Ghraib. That's what I had to deal with. And I had to deal with it very two conflicting situations. One, the people that were causing the abuse were my people. Who exactly, when you say they were your people, who what? Who are these people? What are their names and what roles did they play? Okay, well, of course, I'm limited to say what I can about the intelligence agents, but most, most of your viewers know these people that were uh, brought up later, like I.E. Lindy, Lindy England, Specialist Lindy England, who was there, all right, uh, Chip Frederick, who was there, and these were all as, Those as were lower can... level. They were lower level offenders, though, right? I mean, they. Lindy England did. Did she actually torture uh, people? Okay. Well, they they were all, the, and I call them kids. They were all much younger than I was at the time, but the but the situation was was they were actually working uh, and helping helping us. Okay, the intelligence people. They're at Building One A. They they were uh, they were providing services that they that they thought we wanted them to do, like softening up, physically brutalizing uh, uh, the in the inmates, the detainees. All right. So they they were following all all of our instructions because, as I as I have to point out to many many investigators. Virtually everybody that was at Abu Ghraib in Iraq had had undergone extensive, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, education on how to deal with prisoners. You, we were taught that you don't abuse prisoners extensively 
and we sign documentation to that extent that yeah, you but do not. What did you actually see? It's important to me that you tell people what you saw because. Okay. All right. You personally, well, because you were a witness. I know there were photographs and so on, but you personally, as a witness, I mean, you were moved to blow the whistle. What is it that you saw that moved you to blow the whistle specifically? The fact that we were staging executions. All right. Fall, fake execution, but nevertheless, against all provisions of the Geneva Conventions, we were involved extensively, um, let me see, physically abusing, brutalizing the inmates when they were brought in, beaten, beaten to half to death, bloody, they, they were brought in. And it was always, they always excused, excused this, the situation of what I had to do, what uh, the medical, the medical treatment that I had to provide, which, and they always, it stated to me that they said, oh, this, this inmate had fallen down a stair, set of stairs 12 oh, so times. They, they lied All to right? you about the torture then. Yes, of course. And, 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 and then un unfortunately there were several, uh, like what happened in a situation like with Newsweek, all right, and this can be this can be viewed and investigated. Newsweek showed several uh, inmates and in the steps of our building being brutalized in a personnel carrier. They were be being beaten bloody, all right, and and their heads were wrapped, you know, with uh, um, head bandages, and so that was one situation. Another situation and some was of these people were kids, right? I mean, 15 years oh, old. Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly they were kids. And, you know, and the thing was in one morning in one morning, I had to deal with uh, four separate heart attacks. Okay. Heart attacks where I had to actually uh, diagnose, treat and restart their hearts. Okay you know, with cardiac, cardiac uh, therapy and conditioning. And I had to start the restart their hearts. And that was one morning and they, and there wasn't virtually one Iraqi, okay, detainee that was over the age of 14. What? Yes, there was, like I said, at least four. And they were so brutalized by our people in the building. And this, this was in Samara. This was before they were being shipped to to Abu Ghraib. All right, they had they had four. This was a receiving center, and, and the same one that Newsweek photo photographed. Okay, and there was four. They brought in four kids, and and surprise, they they would come in and say to me, Doc, we oh we have another one, and and they were when I walked into the room. They were usually the detainees were in a in a corner, either un, unconscious, totally unconscious, and it turns out that the, their their hearts had stopped. Wow. And 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 this will give you an idea of the abuse that the detainees were the Iraqis were undergoing at our hands, and so it was my job to get their get their hearts going again. Okay, and, and so. But that that was one that was another situation, and the one that I still and it's, it's actually giving me difficulty saying this, speaking about this. I walked in, and I had one of my people, my intelligence people, look at me, look at me and say, "Doc, get that piece of crap out of here, okay," and uh, and and deal with him. And I said, "Okay." What I looked. And there was a young man on fire in the corner, unconscious, all right? And, and so we had to put the flames out and, and I, had to, I had to treat him and revive him and take him out of the interrogation room, okay? And from there, he was taken to Abu Ghraib prison for further treatment, all right? That, this, you know, and then another case Okay, so as a follow on to that, an adjunct, as they termed it in their reports, an adjunct case, I walked in 
and there was a there was a young man looking at me desperately, and an Iraqi, you know, as in please help me, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. I looked at him, and there were and I finally and he the young man passed out in my arms. I looked, and in each ear was a lit cigarette burning in each ear. All right, so who did that? The the people that I was with, my well, fellow. I mean, you mentioned a guy named in your book. You mentioned a guy named Stavros. Yes. Who's that? that? Stavros was was, uh, and that's not his name, by the way. Oh. I have to do that for protection. But the thing was, is he he was a fellow. He was a fellow intelligence agent, and he was part of the group, and he was was a was a, a Greek a Greek of national a Greek national and he said he was there to make sure that he gave these Arabs that had abused his own co own country okay Greece in this case Greece he said he was there to make sure that they got they got what the what they gave his national people the Greeks he they were going to he was going to give them the same abuse so what was the last straw for you that that caused you to say okay i'm going to blow the whistle on this well the thing is when you say blow the whistle it wasn't you know it wasn't a a, a horn blowing moment okay i walked i had walked in and this was after the situation of abu sager the banker of saddam hussein uh, who had been taken, you know, taken when he was in my custody and taken to Abergrave and beaten to death, and beaten to death, and then, and then I I realized that he had been brought, that his body had been brought to the Balad uh, Hospital Infirmary, and he had he had been dropped by the CIA. They had opened from an SUV, opened the tailgate, and dropped him on the steps of the Balad unit, the MASH unit that that they had, the hospital unit. Threw him on the sidewalk and then drove away. Okay, and and this was Abu Sager. Virtually everybody in the world knows who Abu Sager is. All right, and so and so I said. I have to, I have to, I have to tell my command that this is going on because I was getting um, uh, communications from the Iraqis that said, "Look, we know what you're doing. We know the, the abuse, and we're tired of listening to the screams of our children coming out of the police stations. All right, we're tired of you murdering our people." This is what I was given as an as a communication. And they said, look, they said, you, we trust you. All right, Gregory Ford, Dr. Ford, they trust me. All right, so, but uh, you uh, are warned. And if you are in this, in this position longer than uh, two or three days, we are going to blow you up, blow you up, and we're going to destroy the unit that you're in. And this was in this was within the city of Samara, and I and so I I sent the word, I sent the word to my commander, as in Lieutenant Colonel uh, Drew, Drew Timothy Ryan, all right, and uh, Captain Victor Artiga, and also Colonel Thomas Pappas, who everybody can look at, everybody knows who this is, all right, and. Uh, to include their their records at Abu Ghraib. Everyone and all your viewers can see who they are by just looking up these names. And but the thing was, is that I said, I, I told my command, I said, please, you know, we're in a very bad position, very bad situation. We're completely controlled by a group of people that uh, are armed to the teeth. Armed, the Iraqis are armed to the teeth they can completely destroy our unit any any time they want. Please do not uh, abuse these people anymore. Stop it. And they said, 
they looked at me right in the eye and they said, look, we don't care what you think. All right. And if, and if you don't like it, leave. They told me that. And I said, well, look, they have, the Iraqis have said they're going to destroy our building in Samara and which they did. The Iraqis blew up our building and leveled it. And, and, and this is exactly what I, I reported to the command. And I reported to uh, the, the magazine, the German magazine in Europe, Der Spiegel, all right, is that the Iraqis drove an, an, what was called a V-bed, a vehicle delivered bomb, which leveled the building and left several several um, uh, American soldiers that are still in the building today, as, as of this moment, there's uh, the dead are still in that building. All right. So that's what that's what had happened as a result of me reporting. Okay, reporting this this abuse, this case, this situation. And so so immediately, the command came to me and said, All right, fine, you're going you, I know what you said. I know what you told us. Now you are going to, going to um, let me see, how do they put it? Oh, you're going to talk to a psychiatrist. And we don't care if you want to go or not. You're going to go talk to a psychiatrist. And then we are going to ship you out. We're going to strap you to a stretcher and fly you out of, out of Iraq with no orders and rendition you. You don't have a choice in the matter, all right? And and of course, I said, are you, you know, I, at that point, I was, my, my last statement to them was, are you people insane? Have you people lost your goddamn minds? And they said, look, we don't care what you think, you are leaving, all right? We're going to strap you to a stretcher, and we're going to find out what you have to say about several things. All right, and 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 that that of course is the subject of my next book. But the thing is, is this is is they were concerned about my reports, about my reports about the torture and abuse, which the whole world, all your viewers have seen, all all the material that the, that your viewers have seen about Abu Ghraib prison, that all came from me. All right, so. So we had the the issue of the 60-minute uh, news release that showed all the abuse, and it was it was actually kind of a homecoming session for me. Had you been imagine. renditioned yet at, when that came out? Well, let me see. Yes, I had been renditioned. I'd been flown into the CIA station in Ramstein, Germany. All right. And and of course, uh, the the situation when I when I uh, was landed when I landed at Ramstein, Germany, all right, uh, I was approached by several people, and and they came to me and they said, "What did you see? What was going on in Iraq?" And I told them, and they said, "Oh my God, this is a scandal beyond description." All right. You saw this? And I said, yes, it's going on right now. And these are the people in my command that are responsible for it. Now, who ordered you to be renditioned? Was that Thomas Pappas? That was Thomas Pappas. That was Lieutenant Colonel Ryan. All right. And, and, uh, and the thing was, and this is, this is where it gets dicey. I didn't realize at the time that my general, which should have, made uh, this is janice karpinski who made who made all the statements to the supreme court she wrote the supporting documents on my case for the supreme court she said if she had known you know about what was happening with me that never would have happened so they hid that from her they hid that from her. so absolutely so now what happened was they said and this is classic i mean if 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 they want to get rid of you in the military or the government or whatever, they always say, you know what, we think that mentally you're a little off, you got to go, you know, go see the shrink. 
So you went to see this this woman, right, Madeira. Right. Right. And basically, she just uh, did what she was ordered to do, which was to say, well, at first, at first, didn't she say she thought you were fine? Yes. Very interesting. She, we, we, we spoke, and, and the thing was, is I said, look, I know what's going on here. You do, too. And she said, well, I've only been in the military for two weeks. And I said, oh, okay, so, so you, you, here's what's going on. And I told her this, it was a war crimes, it was a war crimes cover up in every extent, you know, of the word. And so at that point, she said, okay, all right, go back to you, your unit. And, and of course, <laughs> great. So I walked back to my unit and, and, and they were, and the, the unit, the commander, and this was Colonel Ryan, okay, who, who and, and Captain Artiga, and this, and especially, this was very interesting, this, this point was, and very, and very few people know about this situation, but, but Janice Karpinski, General Karpinski knows, is that Ryan walked back in front of me, he walked back. He had no idea I'd been released, you know, with a statement of being fine, blah, blah, blah. And I walked back and Ryan was in a conference with Colonel uh, Thomas Pappas. And, and I walked up behind him and they, and they didn't realize I was there. And both of them were saying, well, what are we gonna do about this guy? This whistleblower, okay? And this is, and this, by the way, this statement is in the court documents of the Supreme Court, these statements. And, 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 and the colonel said, well, what we can do is don't, we'll, we'll make sure we don't tell Janice Karpinski anything. All right. We'll just, we'll, we'll just ship this guy out, strap him to a stretcher, and we'll drug him up the first thing so he doesn't say anything to anybody. So nobody hears anything. And, and, and uh, and, and at that point, at that point, this is when, when Ryan, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan walked back and proceeded to threaten Merle Madera. All right. Dr. Merle Madera threatened her with, with arrest. A psychiatrist. Yeah. Right. With arrest. And, and if she didn't comply with, with the renditioning and torturing of me. And one of the things, as as I found out later, was when I I was undergoing this MK Ultra torture, was that they wanted to know about everything that had been said concerning Operation Copper Green. And what's Operation right? Copper Green? And, and Operation Copper Green, as as um, okay, it, it's a massive, it's a magic magic a process a huge process to subjugate the american people and the american government by utilizing certain types of 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 uh, processes you know but uh, i'm sorry developed processes that the cia had had organized and put together and where they were going to basically utilize the Abu Ghraib prisons, and they were going to utilize uh, black, what, what are called black site, CIA black site operation sites, and they were going to subjugate several other countries that had been directed. So basically, I, what from what I understand Copper Green is, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, is that it's basically uh, Abu Ghraib was the test case for working out the kinks but the copper green is the international, the globalization of a black site network for renditioning and torturing everywhere, including the United States uh, when necessary to get whatever the desired outcome is for the intelligence uh, community. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. And, and what they are, uh, these black sites 
are designed, all paid for by the CIA. But the thing is, is that um, they were designed to, to receive in several countries that we were busy arranging uh, agreements with was whoever these dictators were in these countries, they were going to get rid of their troublemakers. Yeah, so it's a service. It's, it's like a renditioning and black site service for right. whoever has the money to pay for it, for whoever's in power, who wants to maintain that power through uh, eliminating inconvenient citizens. Right. Wow. Okay. And that's and a global it, operation. That was a global operation, as I found out, where they had- Including the United States, right? Am I wrong in saying? Oh, oh yes. And it was, of course, in the best, in the best traditions of American capitalism, because they were going to have these countries pay for their renditioning and torturing other fellow citizens and shipped out to dis be disappeared, okay? For a service. Now, this is for a service. It's the American way where they take people from other countries and they can either torture them, okay, very professionally torture them in these black site facilities, keep them there, and and if if the if if they find and gather any information that 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 can be used to maintain that dictator in power, while while all the natural resources are being plundered from that country, whoever it is, all right, they they can um, at that point they can decide the country, the host country that's giving all these troublemakers. Okay, uh, quote terrorists. That's they're always called terrorists. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, uh, and they can they can actually take these people and have them disposed of. Okay? So so let me ask you something here: um, Is copper green still going on? I believe it is. Yes, and and let me see. I believe. The, so who you don't was really the, know. You think it is, but you're not sure. Well, the reason why I base that right now on Russia today, there's a whole documentary that anybody can look at, watch, watch concerning the CIA black site operations going on all over Europe, going on over Asia. All right. All of these, all these places are, they do have black site operations and guess who's paying for them? Most people forget this. It's the American people that initiated this process. And the and the the actual event that it, that brought this whole uh, operation to the fore was was as I understand was 9/11. 9/11 was the the opening event. Well, and, it's interesting because you say in your book, or I don't know if it was in your book if you had said this to me and it really struck me. You said 9/11 was the ad campaign that got us into the war on terror. Absolutely. Because you know? when you look at all of the legislative operations and special counterterrorism procedures, that's when they were initiated. That's yeah. when this huge yeah. public trough for all these intelligence groups that be before, hair to before, they couldn't get funding. All right. You know, the, these, these groups like, what was it? The, well, they were um, making their own money, drug dealing and stuff, doing that stuff. But oh, I guess it wasn't right, exactly. Well, so wait, that... but but we're getting off track here because I really want to. So Pappas goes back to Madeira, Colonel Pappas, and 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 uh, and says, "This you've got to change your uh, diagnosis of this man and get him so that we can get him out of here, right?" Right. Yeah. And, and then. And, right. Exactly. And, and then, so what, go ahead. I'm sorry. So this is all very difficult to speak about, okay, as you might imagine. Remember, I'm, I'm suffering all the medical issues that were, were given, given to me during that, those torture sessions and interrogation sessions by MK altered drugs, all right? So, so it's giving me great grief even to have this this interview going all right and recounting these issues so so what the 
the, the situation happened is is that is that yes uh lieutenant colonel ryan marched back and to uh uh colonel excuse me to merle madeira and said okay i don't care what you think and this is what she told me by the way she told me she said he said exactly what this is an an, an intelligence operation it's not a medical operation it's an intelligence operation you are going to take this person out of Iraq, all right? And there's going to be no trace of him ever leaving Iraq. And we want you to know that. And we want, you, we want it done by this afternoon, all right? So, so surprise, next thing I know, I had four great big beefy guys show up with a stretcher and said, we are taking you uh, onto a plane, renditioning you onto a plane right now. And, and for good measure, there were several, what were called Delta Force operations people, part of the group, all right? And so they, and I said, right, think again. And they said, we don't care what you think, you're going on this stretcher right now. And, and Merle Madero, at that point walks in and says, no, uh, uh, let, me let me talk to, talk to me. She said, let me talk to me. And she said to me, look, you're going on the stretcher whether you want to or not. You need to understand something right now. What this command in this intelligence group says is that they're terrified of what you have to say about Abu Ghraib, all right? and the bioweapons program. They're as well terrified. as Copper Green. They wanted to know, you to know Right, that. right, exactly. Well, Copper Green is part, part of, of Abu Ghraib. Yeah. Right, okay. exactly. Right. It's wow. all part of the big wow. program. Now they, now they made you go on a stretcher because you were, you were going on an airplane full of, um, full of wounded, right? Right. And, and the, the pilot said, I'm not having somebody walking in on two legs coming into my airplane. And, and that's when they forced you onto that gurney, right? Forced you onto that stretcher. That's correct. All right. There were four of them. And they said, okay, all right. Uh, and Madeira said, look, look, for appearance sake, please cooperate. And, and so she asked me to lie down on the stretcher and they strapped me in immediately, picked me up and took me onto the plane. Now you were accompanied by somebody named Pia Navarro, right? I'm sorry? You were accompanied by somebody on the plane named Pia Navarro? Did you I'm hear sorry. what? Um, you were accompanied. You were accompanied on the plane by someone named Pia Navarro, right? Pia Pia Navarro. Yeah. Okay, that name that name doesn't ring a bell. I thought this was maybe I'm getting confused. I thought this was the person who um, was on the airplane with you and injected you with the uh, sodium amytal. Oh, okay. Well. That wasn't the name. I oh, understand. I'm sorry. I'm, but, I'm sorry. But 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 uh, it was there were actually a surprise a specialist that shows up. Okay, by the, by the name of of uh, I, I believe his name was Peter Bauer. Okay. Peter Bauer, and and like I say, we're going back a few years here. But Peter Bauer, and and he was a quote psychiatrist. All right unquote and and along with Merle Madeira who who okay and Merle Madeira ordered first of all she, he she ordered one injection okay a specialized injection for intelligence people that are being renditioned and where they're going to be receiving sodium amytal sodium amytal right an MK ultra drug for interrogating intelligence people specifically, all right. This 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 medic this this injection uh, 
was part of a strictly forbidden program. By, Nuremberg prohibited, right? right? Well, the thing was, yes, it, but it was it was part of the Nuremberg uh, program. The Nuremberg Conventions that said, do not give anybody any kind of of Sidney Gottlieb Sidney Gottlieb uh, derivatives for interrogation. Do not give them to them. It's against all laws, international laws. And that was one of the things that, that, that he specifically gave me was the sodium amytal drugs. And part of the reason why in Nuremberg, as they said, these, these drugs destroy things like your heart, okay, your lungs, your brain, all right? And so, and of course, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a pen pal situation here with, with all these people injecting me with these horrible things or drugs. But all I remember is lo losing consciousness. And I vaguely remember being asked about copper green and something uh, called the bio, the bioweapons program. All right. They were asking about the bioweapons program specifically. Okay. Because it was connected. The bioweapons program was connected to George H.W. Bush and his assignment uh, as his assignment to the ambassadorship of China. All right. That's, that's what I said, sent my reports in about these topics. And okay. that's why I, right. And that's why I knew about those topics. So when you got to um, Germany, apparently before you landed, the Germans were very, had, had gotten word from your lawyer, your JAG lawyer, that you were on that plane um, against your will. And the Germans had contacted the airplane, right? And said, uh, they said, you can't land here if you have brought somebody here against their will. And they lied and said, no, absolutely not. That's not the case. Is that correct? Your information is very amazing. Okay. And very correct. Yes, that is, that is what happened. And, and at that time, fortunately, um, Kevin Healy, a JAG lawyer, judge advocate general JAG lawyer. All right. Um, he, he had gotten word that I was being forcibly renditioned and flown out and he specifically got onto a plane he got onto a plane in california and was flying to baghdad all right to meet with with a general stan mccrystal mm -hmm. and the word the word came down as i understand it like i said when you're unconscious it's hard to get everything straight all right but as as the the situation was was that is that some somehow some way on the plane the German government and this was confirmed with Helm with Helmar Buchel of Der Spiegel, all right magazine, the German government con contacted the plane and said, "Is there somebody on this plane against their will?" And that's when Merle Madeira, Merle Madeira specifically went up to the cockpit. Of the plane, it was a C-37 airplane, specifically designed for these operations. She went up and she contacted the German government, and she lied specifically to them, saying that that yes, uh, there were I'm sorry, there was nobody there, involuntarily being flown out and renditioned and tortured on that plane. And at that point, at that point, the plane. Um, landed and at some sometime some way somewhere i was actually beginning to reco recover some consciousness and i i specifically by the way i specifically cut myself out of that uh, stretcher i cut myself out wow okay and and, and uh and you can imagine what what kind of state of uh, state of mind i was in but the thing was was that is that the plane was landing, the plane was landing in, it, it, at that point, when I looked out the window, the plane was right over the top of rock, the rock of Gibraltar. 
leaving the Mediterranean. And so at that point, we flew in, we flew in to, into Ramstein, Germany. That is, that is the same, same base where right now, where, what, what was it, three weeks ago, where the, where the CIA director, Gina Haspel, okay, was wounded in a shootout, okay? Right. With, with special forces, uh, Green Berets in Ramstein at the CIA station. So tell me something, what happened when you arrived in the United States? Oh, well, I, I've never seen so many people running around trying to cover their butts, as they say. Okay, CYA, all right. Yeah. And, and so, let me see. Uh, before I left Germany, I had several, several people uh, of high rank come to me and say, what did you see in Iraq? And I told them, and the, the, the status at that point was, oh my God. And then they asked me, where are your orders leaving Iraq? And I said, are you, are you kidding? You better call the command. And they said, we have. They don't have any record of you ever leaving Iraq. The command didn't. And so the, the next thing, the next situation was, well, okay, I, I received word that first of all, that the Merle Madeira, okay, who was there in Ramstein with me and, and that Bauer, Dr. Bauer, okay, they, they were being, they were being sent somewhere else very quickly. They were being flown out very quickly from Ramstein. And, and at that point, and of course, it's all conjecture where they went. And so the situation, and it got pretty murky from there. And, uh, and within, within a, a day, within eight hours after I uh, landed, I had several people, including a Colonel, Colonel Sai, P-S-A-I, Colonel Sai came to me and said, oh my God, you don't want to go back to this uh, to Iraq, and I said, "Do I look insane? Do I look crazy?" He said, "No, you don't look crazy. I'm making sure you go home. You don't want to go back to this unit because, as we understand, there's a major scandal of of global proportions about to break there." That was the Abu Ghraib scandal. Yes, it was. Now, were were Pappas? Were these guys ever held accountable for what they did to you? not only were they not held accountable, they were, they were promoted, which is the classic military intelligence way. They were promoted. And then, let me see. Uh, I have to be very exacting with this. Let me see. Colonel, um, Colonel Pappas, Thomas Pappas, was sent to a CIA training school and put in charge of the CIA training school. This was in Langley and in a place called Warrington. He was put in and I had a call. I received a call from General Janice Karpinski. And he said, you're not gonna believe this, this little son of a bitch who set me up and set you up, okay. They, they just promoted him, all right. So he he uh, he is in. Well, that's right a classic cover up. That's a classic cover up move by by the government. You see it all the time. Anybody who does the dirty work gets covered in you know medals and uh, accolades and gets promoted. Uh, so that you know it sort of sprays them with a good smell under the the corruption and rot. You know, well, I, I'm, over I'm the corruption and rot. I'm sorry, Christina, but that doesn't make me feel any better. Well, no, but that's what I've seen. I'm just telling you, you know. Oh, well, so what about the other ones? What about Madeira? Okay. Well, let me see. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan, uh, he took the uh, he took all that information about weapons of mass destruction that we mentioned, and he turned right around and contacted the private company Carlisle, and said, "I know. Here's what I know about you, Carlisle. You've been." You, you have been shipping weapons of mass destruction to to Iraq, and I want to really 
a good six-figure job. What are you going to give me, Carlisle Group? All right? And I have plenty of proof of that. He, that he took and the what did they give him? What did they give him? Oh, they gave him a really nice, they even gave him his own specialized intelligence company. All right? That company, if everybody's listening, I hope everybody's listening, that company was called, is called right now, and you can contact them, call them, you know, via the phone land, landline, is is the three comma six intelligence security group. The three comma six intelligence group. So did um, did uh, Madeira? Uh, I mean, that's medical malpractice to 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 knowingly uh, misdiagnose somebody. What happened to her? Oh well, of course. Now there is a complete you can, and and everybody can look her up, look her name up, and you'll see a picture of her. Surprise! You can't see the picture. It's a complete firewall. All right. Now. As I understand it, um, their Spiegel magazine and Helmar Buchel, senior editor, actually traveled to Southern California and they found out that she had been, that Merle Madera had been placed in charge of a juvenile facility in Riverside County and they had, and they had put her in charge of taking, taking care of troubled children. Oh my God. Right? Now that makes a lot of sense to put a war criminal, oh. what she was, a war criminal in, char in charge of children that are troubled, okay? And, and of course, she's an expert at this point of dealing with certain types of psychotropic drugs, all right, that are, that are administered. And then, of course, at this point, you know, if, if any question of um, military medical medical treatment and care she abrogated all of her responsibilities whatsoever that she had to sit there and rendition and torture me now now we don't have a lot of time left and i want to i want to get into how uh certain laws box people like you into an impossible corner where you can't get justice and accountability. Um, and these, these laws are, um, I think people need to know about them because really they're not compatible with any kind of democracy that I can think of. Uh, one of them is that um, when you sued you sued uh, Victor Ortiz, you sued Pappas, you sued um, uh, right, the command. Ryan, you sued, you sued. And basically, uh, the court came back and agreed that, um, because, and this was, I forget what the case is, but it was a case against Rumsfeld by somebody who uh, had been tortured. And basically, it, it, the, uh, the court came back and said, we agree that uh, these people were operating within the purview of their job description and that the job descriptions of some people in the, in the, in, you know, some people in the government does include criminal activity. So, you know, hence they're, you know, they, they don't have to be held accountable for you. The other thing, the other, uh, law that was used against you was is called the Ferris Doctrine, where somebody in the military cannot sue the military for for damages. But you know, it, it's one thing to not be able to sue the military for being hurt doing the job you signed up to do. But apparently this doctrine has no uh, stipulations for, you know, people who, <laughs> who are abused and hurt and tortured uh, by their commanding officers 
And that is not part of either one of their job descriptions. Yours wasn't to submit to torture and theirs was not to torture you, you know? Right, exactly. Well, the Ferry's Doctrine, which is kept very quiet from the public, no, no parent, no mother, no father would allow their children to be subjected to an organization that, that can impose some obscure nefarious law that, quote, law that says, oh yeah, well, we can wipe your child out. We can subject your child to any toxic substance we feel we want to. And if he dies, oh, well. That's well, no this, and there's a, there was a guy named Stanley who was in the military and he volunteered um, for some you know, he volunteered for some job and without him knowing they gave him LSD and, and the, the court, the, his legal teams, uh, their, their complaint was that they were their They, they, their rationale for, for this lawsuit and trying to break down that for us, uh, wall was that when military conduct passes so far beyond the bounds of human decency, I do not believe that it can be considered a part of the military mission. And that's, that's correct. So right. far, that was the Olson case, right? The so Olson case where he ended up. Jumping no, it was out the of, United States versus Stanley. Oh, okay. James I, I B. Do, Stanley. Frank Olson. I'm familiar with that case. Yeah, yeah. He was yes. He was right. in LSD and jumping. And he and he and he said, "I'm going to be. I'm going to blow the whistle." on Sidney Gottfried and the MK Ultra program and which gave us LSD by the way Sidney Gottlieb all right and so Frank Olson was going to going to blow the whistle on all the people that had been murdered in conjunction with this program murdered and and of course uh what happened was was that uh 24 hours before he was going to blow the whistle he was thrown out of a seven-story building in New right, York. Right. All right. So we don't have much time left, and I, I, I just want you to talk. So you've had no justice. Nobody has been held accountable for what happened, right? I want to know what it is you're living with right now because of what happened that nobody's been held accountable for. Right. Exactly. Um, well, I am living with all the damages medical damages physical damages that that i have right now and i spent most of this week alone and yesterday alone being evaluated by by certain for certain conditions consider uh considered let me see one was was my heart situation which was damaged with this with this torture and also as of starting last year the first part of last year, I lapsed into a coma. All right. And of course, my medical team from University of California, Davis, they all said the first thing when I came to when I when I when I finally woke up from this coma was they said, have you ever been exposed to any kind of military situation? I said, yes, I have. And they said, have you ever been exposed to any kind of uh, ex exotic, unusual psychotropic interrogation drugs, and I said, "Yes, I have," and and uh, and they said, "Well, we're finding evidence of that in your system right now. That's oh probably God. why you lapsed into a coma, and that's probably why you're going to have to spend most of last year, which I did, most of last year, learning how to speak. Okay, I couldn't speak when I came to." I could not speak, all right? And so I've, ha I've been having to learn how to rebuild, rebuild my whole sense of conversation and how to speak, um, which I'm having trouble with right now, as you might imagine, so. Well, listen, um, I just wanna tell you that I think you're a great patriot for standing up, having the courage to continue to stand up and, and, and talk about these things. And I, I want to thank you for coming on this show. Thank you so much, Greg. Well, oh, well, thank you so much, Christina. And by the way, I, I would turn up the volume so I can hear you properly.
but the thing is, is my whole right side is completely numb. All oh, right. I'm as sorry. A, as, is a that result, for... as a result of these of that interrogation, I can't hardly use my right side. Okay. So, oh my God. <laughs> so that that should give you an idea of what re resulted from this interrogation and torture session. All right. When I, you know, an Aubrey grave has a whole new meaning for me, as you oh, might imagine. I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate you. Thank you, Christina.